another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And this is episode number 166, 166. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com, kbmakel at aol.com, or you can leave them in the comments section on Podbean, which is where we create the podcast. So, uh, here we are. Um, I hate doing politics. I'm going to do just a little bit of it. Um, we got to talk about the wreck of the U.S. justice system, which isn't a justice, the U.S. injustice system, which is now being manipulated by what I call Vichy America. You know, just like Vichy France, where the Nazi puppet state. Well, we have a Nazi puppet state here in America. It's all the blue states. It's Vichy America. The rest of us live in free America. And frankly, it's getting encroached on. Uh, Colorado used to be free America probably 15 years ago. Now, you know, it's pretty horrible. So, you know, the justice system is out persecuting people who the Democratic Party does not like. And it's an evil axis of big tech, uh, governmental overreach, prosecutorial misconduct brought on by the, you know, and and the evil elements of this are these Soros-backed, um, you know, prosecutors. They, they, the one in San Francisco was so bad, even the San Franciscans, you know, threw him out. We still have other ones of these. So, of course, they've indicted the former president of the United States over a nothing BS charge, while the king of influence peddling Hunter Biden walks free. Um, you know, if that doesn't tell you something, then, you know, it's it's crazy. Uh, essentially, you know, the Democratic Party is committing some sort of low-level treason. I mean, when you subvert the Constitution of the United States, it's treason. And... You know, I realize that they're riding this wave of hubris. They were able to steal an election in 2020. Uh, They survived the onslaught in 2022. And, you know, they've been able to persecute people wandering around the Capitol who've done nothing. And we now have video evidence that they did nothing. Uh, They've been trying to put them in jail or holding them without charges. I I mean, all these things that the Constitution is supposed to protect us against... The Democrats have been doing so. You can only reach the conclusion that they're traitors, and and they're guilty of treason. And until we realize that and hold them accountable, um, things are going to get a lot worse. What do you think these extra eighty-five thousand IRS agents are there for? If you think they're going after big oil and big pharma, you better grab your wallet. They are coming after you. They're coming after me. They're coming after Middle America. Anybody who they think that they can squeeze a dollar out of, they're coming after us. I mean, they didn't hire 85,000 IRS agents for nothing. Um, The Department of Homeland Security and several other government agencies, you know, they've been stockpiling small arms ammunition for years. You know, they've been stockpiling it. They have it. What do you think they're going to do with that? I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. What do you think 
that they are doing. It's, it's not to fight the terrorists. It's certainly not to enforce the border, and it's not to fight the drug cartels. Who are they? Who are they stockpiling, and what are they? What do they have in mind for that ammunition? And I'm sure they've stockpiled weapons too. Um, you know, draw your own conclusions when you see the weaponized. The, the executive branch of the government has been weaponized against people who are their political opponents. You know, I mean, we are now living in a third world country. This is this is now becoming the third world unless we stop them. This is the kind of stuff that goes on, and this is the kind of stuff that Idi Amin pulled in Africa. This is the kind of stuff that has gone on around the world in despotic little countries that are run by, you know, really these filthy, odious little potentates. And now they're here. And I don't know if Biden is one of them. Frankly, I think he's too senile to know what he's doing. I think he's told what to say, and they give they give him some ice cream and tapioca pudding now and again, and keep him happy but I think that it's a uh, um, it's horrible to think where our country has gone just in living memory in 1945 we were on top of the world where are we now we're quaking we're afraid China is going to come take over Taiwan that was never the case we defended Taiwan for decades and now we're like, well, we don't know if we can do that anymore because we've taken our military down to such pre precariously small levels. You know, we've, we've, we've taken this drug that somehow technology and precision weapons means we don't need, we don't need a large military force because we have all these super weapons. It's not true. Part of that will tell you is They've been using super weapons in Ukraine, and it's not going so well for anybody. <laughs> They're fighting a, a World War One infantry block-by-block block battle in Bakhmut, and they did it in Mariupol, and they've done it in other places. Uh, seesaw kind of back and forth a little bit. You know, it, the answer is not in superior technology weapons, because you see... We even see it a few weeks ago. They shoot down a balloon that's, you know, not very expensive. The Chinese spy balloon with a $100,000 missile. You know, a missile cost $100,000. Probably more than that. Probably more than that. Um, and then, because Biden wanted to show he was a tough guy... They found two or three other little balloons floating around. They shot those down. One of them belonging to the Southern Illinois Ham Radio Club. <laughs> so the, the Air Force gets an air-to-air -air kill against our, our arch enemies, the Southern Illinois Ham Radio Club. It's ridiculous. And that, their, their balloon was worth probably less than $500, and we use a $100,000 missile to destroy it. You know, this is the kind of stuff, this is this is nonsensical. We are living in what appears to be nonsensical times. Um, the police are not doing proactive policing. I mean, they're de-policing. And you see it all the time. Uh, we have these Soros-backed DAs and others getting rid of our, dismantling our justice system. No cash bail. 
um, not holding people for crimes. It's just to the point where people can brazenly go into any store they want, steal what they want, and walk out, and, and no one really prevents them. Um, you know, that's why, why I've been telling people, you have to buy yourself an AR-15. And that's one of the reasons that they want to take them away. They, they don't care about anything. They don't care about any of that. They don't want you to have the gun for it's 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 a point of honor for them. But you know they also realize you know look at the people in St. Louis. If you have an AR-15, people aren't going to go trash your lawn and burn your house down. You know, granted their their tactics were horrible, and you know she had the cheap Jennings Brico or Lorsen freaking gun that wouldn't fire and you know all that other ridiculous stuff the guy the poor guy looked like i forget their names now i've mentioned them several times but the guy looked like something out of a you know 70s action movie you know holding the gun kind of on his hip as comical as all that was at least it worked at least it worked if he'd been out there with nothing um he probably would have been killed just he probably just would have been beaten and killed by the mob because that's what they do that's what happened in uh, the case of, you know, well, he wasn't killed, but Reginald Denny, remember, in the Rodney King riots? That's 30 years ago. Guy was just driving a truck down the road. He, he was on the wrong road. They came, grabbed him out of there, beat his head in with a brick, and the guy has basically been a vegetable ever since. So, you know, it's, it's a... We're living in weird times. Things bad things are happening look at the way people drive now you know i see people who are not paying any attention to anything on the road and they're texting like crazy and there there are laws against it but people are still doing it it's it's bizarre we're living in a very bizarre time and that's why i tell people get get a dagger get an ar-15 just now just don't think about it just if you've got a credit card with any credit on it, <laughs> you haven't reached the credit limit, uh, go go buy one of these things right now. Go buy a, you know, and the $300 handgun. Go buy a case of ammunition for each. I know it'll cost you over $1,000 all told and added up. But you may thank yourself later on because, you know, this could get darker. This could get a lot worse. Um, you know, we're not even talking about the stuff like the food shortages that are that are you know potentially happening i mean you know ukraine was kind of the breadbasket of europe at least for you know grains and and they produced fertilizer now i don't know how you produce fertilizer i to me fertilizer is manure but maybe maybe that's what they produce i don't know but all of that and some of the stuff that was coming out of the soviet the uh out of russia you know the former soviet union uh you know, that that stuff's all kind of turned off now. So are there going to be food shortages? I, I don't know. But I know one thing. It'll it'll get ugly and look ugly if, if these things happening. And to show you that this is not just not just a an abstract. This is not like, hey, life goes on and everything's normal and, and we're just talking about this stuff. Own a small piece of property in northern Missouri. And most of that property are is in are arable fields, okay? Well, I just got a letter, and it's clearly from a Chinese front group 
saying, hey, you know, you own this. And they had the parcel number. They had all the information. And they said, you know, here's, and they also enclose an, a sales agreement. And it's like, you can just sell all this right now to us. We'll just, we'll just buy it from you. We'll just pay it from, pay it off. You know, we'll just buy it from you right now. You know, the Chinese are buying up stuff that they shouldn't probably be buying. And so uh, we have to be very careful. We have to be very, very careful. It's a dangerous world. And, you know, I tell everybody, be keep your eyes open because you never know when that's going to, it's all of a sudden things will start fraying and coming apart, at least locally around you. Um, and that's not even including the kind of the, the one-off odd things like Palestine, is it Palestine, Illinois, or Palestine, Ohio, the train derailment, destroying the water supply, and now everybody's sick. And of course, the liars in the government telling them, hey, everything's okay, because like, it doesn't affect Pete Buttigieg. He and his husband are uh, living in Washington, D.C., and that's far away from this problem. Other people can deal with this problem. Okay, now we come to the next thing. And, of course, there's another sh a school shooting. And it's like, you know, the question I have is, when will these people ever learn? When will they ever learn? If you run a school, and I don't care if it's a public school, a private school, or, or anything else, when will these people learn you have to have some level of security? You have to have a level of security. And, of course, it's some... Uh, as near as I can tell, it is a woman transitioning as a man, but they have some weird, maladjusted transsexual who obviously had a grudge against the school. Maybe they got bullied. Maybe they got told they shouldn't be there. What, what, whatever it all is, whatever all that drama is with all this trans nonsense, um, this person goes in and, and kills people, killed six people. Some of them tiny children. In, in just the most manifest act of evil you can think about. Killing a child, an innocent child. And then they wonder why people get really angry and say maybe trans people shouldn't have guns. Well, none of that is right. But, you know, we have a national mental health crisis. Um, when you have teachers and and this school was not doing this as far as I know but you know in other places around the country you have teachers taking children without the parents permission and uh, showing them a drag queen show whether it's at the school or at wherever they hold those things I, I did not know that these things were so widespread that they were now taking school children to them but evidently they are uh, now we have Women's sports is being ruined systematically by males who now identify as females who were probably average as a male athlete, but now they're winning all the competitions because they are stronger than the females. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I can't understand it. But when will they ever learn? When will they ever learn? They have to secure a school. You can't just leave a door open. You can't just leave the side door open anymore. You can't allow, when you have a, you know, a, I don't know if it was K through 12 or what the school was, but 
when you see someone on that campus who shouldn't be there, there should be a security empowered individual confronting that person saying, what do you have in this duffel bag? Why are you dressed in fatigues? Why are you wearing body armor? And that person sh should be armed so that the trespasser can be held for the authorities. And if they decide to do something else, knock them. There are plenty of ex-military, plenty of ex-police, plenty of ex-first responders, plenty of ex- uh, anything from, from any responsible profession who are maybe retired and can take that kind of a job at even at minimum wage. I'd do it. You know, I'd do it. If a couple of years from now I'm retired and I want to make some money I, I, and, and I want to make sure a school is safe, yeah, I'd do it. There's plenty. It's, it's, it's insane that we don't have this kind of stuff. Because it's not just people with guns who have to be kept out of schools. There's perverts. Remember the poor guy whose daughter was raped and he brought it up at the school board meeting, confronting him, and they called the cops on him. And, you know, the FBI was, they, they were trying to get these people who were objecting to this kind of stuff on the FBI list because, you know, the FBI's totally crooked now they're they're more crooked than the capone organization which was the big feather in their hat you know somehow now the good guys have become the bad guys it, it looks like but you know when will they ever learn you've got to secure schools because there's all kinds of bad things that can get into a school and it's not just the active shooters are the the ones that gain all the other things nobody really reports on drugs obviously they want to sweep sexual assaults and things like that under the under the carpet schools are vulnerable and they need to be protected and uh, speaking of protecting we can't even seem to protect ourselves this absolutely prodigious fool who is our what is he chairman of the joint chiefs of staff I just uh, matter-of-factly informed the country, oh, by the way, it's going to take us years to get an adequate stockpile of uh, munitions for our armed forces. And I just wonder, I, I sit there and I go, why doesn't our armed forces have a stockpile? And when we use it, even if we're giving it away to Ukraine, why aren't we replenishing it? Um, and telling people to build more factories and and replenish it now I don't know what the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff or what what does he I don't know what he does on a daily basis I know he's big and important and I know that he advises the president and I know know what he's supposed to do but what does he do every day like when he goes to the office at 8 o'clock in the morning and before he leaves at you know 3 30 in the afternoon or whenever he leaves what does he do? I would think one of the things he would do would say, you know, if we had to fight a war, do we have enough ammunition? I think that would be a basic question he could ask. I think that would be a basic question that if the answer is, well, we don't, then he would put into place um, programs and, and other actions that would replenish the ammunition supply fairly quickly. I would think that that would be just something that they would consider to be quite important but evidently I'm wrong and evidently the depth of his responsibility is just to sort of mention 
Oh yeah, by the way, in, in a little article, I, I don't know that we got enough and it's going to take years to build it back up. You know, it's like, dude, you're, this, you are, you're not alerting us to the problem. You are the problem. You were supposed to be watching this and you're not. Um, it, it's an absolute disgrace. I can't understand how anybody I mean it's just to me it's just dereliction of duty I mean complete dereliction of your responsibilities it's absolutely mind-boggling mind-boggling and it's not just the chairman of the Joint Chiefs I mean our Navy is woefully small our, our Navy is tiny now um, they're even saying that we can't muster enough naval forces to, to kind of match the Chinese this has never happened. World War II, we were the supreme naval power on the planet. And uh, we maintained that, I guess, up until we stopped maintaining it just recently. But um, this, is, this is very, very bad. This is very bad. Um, I don't know. The, uh, that on the, and the Air Force. The Air Force is going to start retiring F-22s. Our most effective and advanced fighter, they're going to start retiring them. And I'm like, well, they only built 187 of them when they were supposed to build 700. And then the unit cost skyrocketed. I mean, you know, this, this is nonsense. This is absolute nonsense, and it's frightening. It's frightening because while we sit here and say, oh, we've got these cool f-35s and we got all this the f-35 can't hold a candle to an f-22 cannot hold a candle to it and uh we're getting rid of the f-22s slowly but surely and they will get rid of the a-10s the most effective ground support aircraft of all time and still is they're going to get rid of that too and with no replacement other than you know They'll, sit, they'll, they'll put that on the F-35's plate, too. And then, of course, there won't be enough F-35's to go around because they're expected to do everything. So that's the world we live in. Uh, one of the things I'd like to transition now. Whew, I've been experimenting with powder-coated bullets. And I've got a mixed bag of results. Um, the first batch of 3040 Crag have gone well. So I'm really happy with that. It's a 309 bullet. Yeah, it's uh, you know 180 180 grain 309 bullet. I've also got uh, a mold for a 200 grainer, which might might turn me out some better accuracy. We'll see. I'll have to compare both of them, but right now at least that's it. I also tried some in 7.65 Argentine. Got kind of mixed results. I mean, I've got a 312 bullet I put in there. I have not yet tested it. But um, it really doesn't, it'll chamber, but it doesn't really like to chamber. It's not like the factory rounds where the bolt just closes very easily. I notice there's more resistance on the bolt. I believe I have to um, do some figuring on the crimp and also reducing the flare of the case mouth that I've, had to put on to get the bullet into the uh, the neck of the 
7.65 Argentine. Other than that, that's a, but that's a beautiful cartridge still, though. I mean, it, it is just a wonderful cartridge. Um, in the factory loads, it's, it's close to a 308 Winchester. Um, just a very nice, very nice cartridge. Uh, well ahead of its time. Well ahead of its time. If I had one criticism of it, it's got a short neck. But even that's not much of a criticism. I mean, I, I don't see where that's actually that big of a deal. Uh, but yeah, that was a sweet cartridge. It's too bad it never got the developmental emphasis that it really probably deserved. Well, we're almost 25 minutes into this, so why don't we start with questions and answers? And our first question comes from our friend of the podcast. And this is a, uh, this is a, a, a provocative, a very thought-provoking question. And, and I'm going to just paraphrase this, but how often should you change magazines in an everyday carry pistol? And as you know, uh, obviously, people who carry pistols every day, there's a, you know, you, you have these loaded magazines and the, and the springs inside the magazines are fully depressed. And, uh, you know, does that affect those springs? How, how long will those springs last fully depressed? Uh, I'm not an expert, but I do know this. I do know this. Um, in Iraq, I carried around a lot of loaded pistol magazines. And what I would do is once a week, I would take all the ammunition out, completely completely inspect the ammunition, make sure that the the springs had not lost any tension in the magazines. And I would, you know, wipe everything, make sure everything was wiped out. If I'd been in a dusty environment, I would do it, you know, as soon as I could get back into a secure area where I could where I could do that but but as a minimum once a week and I would rotate magazines uh, not because I ever found a problem just because for my own peace of mind um, that seemed to be a better idea so I would just rotate magazines so I would say you know if I were doing this right now and I think a good a good rule would be to check it once a week do it on Sunday and if you start noticing any kind of problems and that that goes with you know you would also function fire occasionally and all these other kind of things the worst thing you can do is load a magazine or a weapon and is just assume it's gonna work when you need it and months later you know when you pull it out uh, it doesn't work but that being said I know I have found magazines that have been partially or fully loaded for years and they're still fine uh, there are even cases of and this is going back to like the 90s but they would find <laughs> 1911 magazines from world war ii that were still loaded that still functioned fine so you're probably you're probably okay no matter what you do but i would check them once a week that's how i would do it Okay, have you seen the lever action carbine from Bond Arms, which takes AR uppers? I saw a picture of it, and we kind of talked about this last time. You know, it's, it's, it's a marvelous piece of engineering. It's really inventive and innovative. 
if you if you care about your personal security you will live in a free state i mean i i, I hate to say it i know people say i can't move i you know my elderly mom's here or whatever else whatever reason my job's here or my family's lived in this state you know since it came over on the mayflower whatever whatever it is um if you care about your own personal security and you think you might have to use a firearm to defend yourself you need to get out of vichy america blue states are vichy america not only do you have a problem of not being able to get the correct kind of weapons and have to you know settle for you know the brilliantly engineered but somehow second rate uh, lever action ar thingy that bond arm has bond arms has made but don't think that you're not gonna they're gonna turn the justice system loose upon you and even if you beat that there's a good chance you beat that you beat that then they're gonna turn the civil system loose on you and the the poor the poor uh, uh, victims family you know the guy who's trying to rob you and kill you who's now the victim his family will try to sue you and take all of your worldly possessions you know, all your money and all your worldly possessions. Uh, it is a, that's Vichy America, you know. Get away from it. Get away from it as soon as you can. Um, I never thought I would say that. I always thought that, you know, basically, even in a liberal blue state, that, you know, the justice system would have some integrity and and kind of be objective enough Um that that you could that you could beat it but now i'm not sure anymore because everything's all politically motivated now and the justice system has been i hope not irreparably damaged but it sure looks like it okay have you ever had to use an everyday carry firearm um well without going through all kinds of stories um i will say the latest incident I had. I did not have to use a firearm, but I'm glad I had it. Uh, I had, you know, three years after the fact, somehow I managed to get COVID, um, a really bad case, even though I'd had all the jabs and did everything that everybody said I was supposed to. Um, I got a very bad case of COVID. So bad, in fact, that my spouse also got it and she couldn't get me to the hospital and of course I couldn't get her to the hospital so it was pretty dicey there for a while and um, but and and when I was recovering I mean it took a long time it, it was it was a significant event and it took me a long time to recover weeks to recover and while I was recovering when I first started recovering I was down at a gas station just on the edge of our town which you know it's it's not a bad place but there were some bad people in it and so three local what I would consider to be hoodlums you know they could just tell I mean maybe it was my posture maybe they could just tell by maybe it was the uh, the pained look on my face or whatever else but they could tell I was not a hundred percent and I could see you know my spidey sense went off 
And I could see, I kind of just looked out of the corner of my eye and I saw these guys were sizing me up. And I think they would have probably tried to rob me, but I unzipped my jacket and I put my hand inside my coat, snapped the uh, leather strap on my shoulder holster and had my hand right on my 1911. And it was cocked and locked. And I think they knew that I was reaching, that there was something in there that they probably didn't want any part of. So they, they quickly just kind of, you know, drifted away and nothing else happened but if I did not have a firearm then and I didn't brandish the firearm never took it out of the holster or anything I just reached in and had a hold of it but they were savvy enough to know what that was and they were also savvy enough to know that I had seen them and there was enough and, and the key thing is there was enough distance in between us so that I would have been able to draw before they could get to me you know they were that far away a lot of times you don't have that luxury they're just on you you know and uh, but this this was very very this was very very advantageous to me that they that they were uh, um, at that distance and had they even tried to tried to rush I would have had it out and I would have had bullets into them hopefully <laughs> um, before they before they reached me and I mean I was in a grumpy bad mood anyway so you know actually yeah never mind <laughs> this is never mind all right here's the next question what are ruby pistols um, a ruby pistol was a Spanish made pistol that was made in the early part of the 20th century and large numbers of them scads of them were bought by France uh, for World War One, and so although they have a terrible reputation it's not really undeserved because they were fine I mean they you know it's it's were they ever going to withstand a 10,000 round torture test no but they, they were good enough they would they were good enough that they would actuate a cartridge and they were basically reliable enough you get some shots off um, now they have the foibles of all automatic pistols um, most of them were 32 caliber I think as a matter of fact all of them were so it was it was not very powerful um, magazines back then were magazines and you know you could if you dented it or for some other if the feed lips bent or something else you, you could have problems but on the most part, they were pretty reliable. Um, they were a stopgap, and they they were effective. They were an effective stopgap. Um, they were reasonable enough that at the end of the war, you know, Finland, which was newly independent, and of course there were not very many people in Finland, so they don't have a lot of money. Um, they bought those and and a few other things from the French. So, um, you know, ruby pistols were not. You know, it was. It was certainly no, you know, gold cup national match uh, pistol, but it it served a purpose and it was adequate. It was adequate enough so that the French were able to use them in World War One, and post-war they replaced it with other things, and uh, you know the Finns were able to use it. 
I'm sure some of them were used in the Winter War, even though they had, you know, some other pistols by then. I'm sure that there was a need, and I'm sure that at least people in the rear echelons were probably still carrying the ruby pistols around. So they're not that bad. Their their reputation is probably worse than they they are, but they were they they were not the uh, zenith of craftsmanship. And a lot of Spanish guns have kind of a poor reputation, and that's really undeserved, because I find the Astras to be excellent guns, and I find the Stars to be very, very excellent guns in many ways, too. Um, so, you know, there's kind of a thing with Spanish pistols. Yeah, just like every, you know, it'd be like saying, the United States makes terrible pistols. Look at that Jennings Brico and Lorsen and High Point. Well, you know, that's only part of the story. So um, Spanish pistols, there were some very cheap ones, obviously, but there were also some decent ones, too. Very decent ones. All right, next question. Are short barrel 6.5 Creedmoor rifles effective? I'm assuming that means for hunting. Um, I suppose so. Um, I would never buy one. I mean, here's why I wouldn't buy one. Um, you know, 6.5 Creedmoor is really was designed as a target and precision cartridge, and that's what it is excellent at. So I would, so just to, it has a secondary use as a hunting cartridge. So there's there's nothing wrong with it, but um, I wouldn't. I would um, I would get something frankly cheaper to shoot. I would I would go with 308 if I was going to get a shorter barrel. Uh, rifle that I'm not going to shoot at long range. I mean, I can, you know, yeah, you could you could definitely find um, 7.62 or 308 ammunition, probably easier and cheaper. But that being said, 6.5 Creedmoor is probably fine. But it's again, it's designed for kind of a different purpose. So there you go. Uh, here is the next. Question: What calibers do you see headed for extinction? Well, I, I don't know that I see any headed for complete virtual extinction. It's always a process, and the process is those of us who shoot old military rifles are familiar with the process. Um, up until about 20 years ago, and maybe even later, you could find 30, 40 Krag ammunition in any place that sold, you know, a, a wide variety of rifle ammunition because Remington made it Remington made it because there were still a lot of old crag rifles out there that it that had been converted to hunting rifles um, they were they were using it um, there were also every once in a while there'd be a, a special run of you know a Winchester model 95 made in Japan that was a um, 3040 crag or a 3040 crag rolling block or something so, you know, it wasn't an unknown caliber, but they haven't, effectively, they have not made new rifles for it in years and years and years and years. And that's the, that's the death indicator of a cartridge. When there are no more new rifles being made for it, they still make the ammunition for probably two decades afterwards, then it's gone. Then they just stop making it. You know, because the demand is just falls off the uh, the edge of the world there. Uh, you know, look at 351 Winchester. They stopped making the gun in the late 1950s. Okay, you could, up through the end of the 70s, you could still get ammunition for it. 
then it just goes away and that's it and now you have to hand load or find a custom loader and you know getting the brass is is a nightmare and so it's all a nightmare um, some rounds I think that are gonna go and here's here's a couple of easy ones uh, the 244 slash 6 millimeter Remington um, it's dead because 6 millimeter Creedmoor can do everything it can do and better much more accurate 6 millimeter Creedmoor has been optimized for the very low drag bullets and so the barrel twists and all those things are uh, are optimized the 6 millimeter 244 is not so that's all there is to it a 6.8 SPC uh, that was supposed to be the new service rifle cartridge about 20 years ago everybody was hyping it it was the new hotness it's gonna go away it's just gonna be gone uh, I will stick my neck out and say 243 Winchester is gonna go away and again it's gonna be the same thing 6.5 Creedmoor is going or 6.6 millimeter Creedmoor get my get myself straight here six millimeter Creedmoor is going to just overwhelm it the guns will be made in six millimeter Creedmoor it's going to be a better long-range gun and it's going to have light enough recoils so that somebody who's just uh, hunting white-tailed deer wants a lighter recoiling rifle will use one they'll still make but when the the it won't hit the tipping point until they stop making 243 rifles which I think will be in the next five to ten years and then they're gonna make 243 they'll make like one loading of it for the next 20 years and then it'll be gone and you know that'll be that uh, another one eight millimeter Remington Magnum I don't think they've made rifles for that in a long time that'll be gone uh, you know uh, all the Weatherby calibers are gonna go at a certain point there's no more I don't even know if they make a lot of those Weatherby rifles and in, in, you know 257 Weatherby Magnum I don't know if they even make those anymore I mean if they do there's so I haven't seen ammunition so that's telling me that if they probably have stopped making the rifles in those calibers and you know we're just seeing the kind of the trailing off of the ammunition that's what I think uh, I will also say 30 super carry that many guns for it and when I go into a Cabela's or some first of all I've uh, Cabela's is the only place I've ever seen ammo for it now maybe some of the other ones probably have it too but there's usually only a box or two of it there's not a lot of it that's that's always a killer whenever you see whenever you go in and you see a <laughs> a caliber and is an indicator that those are the only guys making the making the ammunition right now and uh, the fact that everybody isn't making it is is a pretty bad a bad omen for that cartridge a very very bad omen so um, you know it's again there's probably a whole bunch of others I mean a, a one that I would say is effectively gone is um, 32 Winchester special basically a necked up 3030 um, I don't think they've made that gun they haven't made a 94 since the early 2000s and they've done a couple special runs but when they were making 94s like crazy because 
everybody bought one because that's what you did. Um, the 32 Special was never all that popular, and I don't think they've made that since probably the 1960s. So, again, they stopped making rifles for it, and then the ammunition becomes harder and harder to find. Another example are the uh, 30, or the 30, 32, and 35 Remington. They were in the Model 8 and Model 81 rifles, and I don't think they were in anything else. And, uh, you know, hey, when was the last time you saw any of that ammo? <laughs> I've, I don't think I've, I may have seen it years and years ago, but I have not seen any of that in a long time. And I think you probably have to, again, go to a custom loader to get that. And it's kind of interesting because I think it was 30 Remington in the Model 8 rifle was actually tested by the Army, not as a weapon they would adopt, but it was as a weapon that, you know, hey, is the proof of concept of a semi-automatic rifle. The, the Remington Model 8 was too frail, uh, too complicated, too hard to clean. It was never going to be a service rifle. But, you know, the fact of the matter is... Um, it had a lot of positive attributes, which made it a an attractive, it proved the concept that a military semi-automatic rifle would be very valuable and would be a great leap ahead of the, um, uh, of the bolt actions they were using in the day. So that's, that's basically all that. All right, calibers headed for extinction. You know, part, part of the reason we have an ammo shortage and this is an aside, this is not part of the question. But in going through my hand-loading manuals, I'm just amazed how many similar cartridges there are. And um, I was actually going to read some off, but it's, it's, it's ridiculous to do. But, um, you know, it's, it's absolutely outrageous. That's, they've got to make such a variety of cartridges now. And these are, a lot of these are modern cartridges. Um, that they're not producing enough. They they do a product. They do a run of them, and then they turn them loose on the market, and they sell. And they're producing other runs. And by the time they get around to making it again, it's you know it's a while. So um, you know we have too. Sometimes I I think we have too many cartridges, too many similar ones that uh, and they. And they're not killing each other off the way like 223 223 remington killed off 222 remington magnum and 222 remington killed them off because it did essentially the same thing and of course being a military cartridge there was going to be you know flux of brass and other kinds of things floating around and and you know companies were tooled up to make it it was going to be a success and it killed off the very similar rounds. We don't seem to be having that happening now, which is why we have all the stuff that we have. Okay, here's another question. What is the best advice for a shooter trying to improve their skills? Uh, hmm. The, it depends where they are. I would say the first thing you have to do is check your ego at the door and realize you and not your equipment is probably the problem. Now there are some exceptions to that. There are some exceptions to that. But essentially, 
I rarely ever hear somebody saying, yeah, I didn't really, they, they rarely take personal responsibility for their misses or for their shooting performance. It's usually this, that, the other thing. And it's all predicated on that they're a great shooter and so therefore it must be the equipment or it must have been some environmental factor or something else. Fact of the matter is, you know, I am responsible for my own score. And if I've used the wrong equipment, if I have not been able to to mitigate the environmental factors and all that, it's still all my fault, you know. But a lot of times people don't want to admit that they've, uh, they'll talk about how great they are, but they'll never talk about, they'll never reflect on their own weaknesses and therefore they won't build on their own weaknesses. Um, now that's for people who are used to shooting. There are new people. The best thing I can say to do is, it's, it's very difficult because I know people who are uncoachable. You know, as I'm thinking this through, I know people who are uncoachable. And you tell them, you tell them what kind of what to do, and they won't do it. You know, they just, they they won't do it. They they absolutely uh, uh, don't want to listen to coaching. So when you have somebody who's uncoachable, I don't know what you can tell them, uh, other than just keep practicing and wasting ammo, and, and maybe they'll start to develop. Um, one of the tricks I always did was. I would keep, I would fire at least one target when I went out just target shooting, just informally, not, not competition. But I would keep my targets and I would look to see, hey, did I shoot a tighter group than last time? Was it wider? Um, you know, what did I, how did this ammunition do versus another ammunition? I did, you know, a lot of analysis of, of that. And one of the things I had to, you know, essentially, um, one of the things I essentially had to do was, you know, admit that there were times when I didn't shoot very well. And, and it probably wasn't the equipment. <laughs> so, you know, there, when you can admit that, and then go ahead and work on what you think you were doing wrong, then you're going to make a lot of progress. That's that's the advice I would give to somebody who's trying to develop their own skills. Coaching a newbie is very challenging, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I think that with the newbies, probably if I had to, if I just had to... Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think my way through it. I think the first thing to do is 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 getting them to realize the gun is not going to hurt them. That firing the gun is not going to hurt them. So it's not going to be so loud. It's not going to have this tremendous recoil. It's not, you know, you're not dirty hairy out there. It's you're going to have you're going to be able to do this. And you're going to be able to master it, and that's why it's so important to start with a 22, and uh, work your way up. But I, I think a lot of people are more afraid of the gun, and, and oh, it's going to kick, and oh, when I was a kid, uh, we I can remember being told, oh, 45 automatic, is, yeah, those things just buck in your hands, and you know nobody thought that you could ever shoot one because they were so powerful. Turns out it was completely fictitious. 
But that's what people believed, and that's what people told everybody. It's like the old great gun myth of 357 will penetrate an engine block of a car, you know. I'm like, hmm. You know, I believed that for years. I never tested it out. Uh, I had no reason to believe that it wouldn't. Um, now, I should have reasoned that a lead bullet going through a steel block probably wasn't wasn't going to happen. But you know, when you're a kid, you know, you get told these things and you you're, you believe them. You just believe them on the surface. They become the the common knowledge, and that was that was common knowledge. And then, of course, they actually, you know, uh, when they started testing all these things, you know, they realized how bogus that was. Now, I will say, if you were using a an East German Travat engine or something, you probably could punch through one of those blocks. But, uh, and I don't know, they, there were some aluminum blocks used on, uh, um, like, the Chevy Vega and a few of these other cars. So, I don't know, maybe it would punch through one of those, but it certainly wouldn't punch through what we understand as a steel, you know, engine block. So, there you go. So anyway, um, that is it for this edition of Old School Guns, a podcast that tells you like it is. And as I said before, you can email any comments or questions to me at kbmakel at aol.com or put them on the comments section of Podbean. But until next time, this is Old School Guns, out.